Co-Selling Hero, hosted by real estate veteran Tom Didion. Each week, we break down today's ultra-hot home seller's market and give you the tips, tricks, and guidance to navigate the selling process and get the most out of selling your home. Proudly presented by the Tom Didion team. Let's jump in. Greetings and moyen, everybody. Thanks for coming back to the Home Selling Hero podcast. I am your host, Tom Didier, and I have a first today. I have an out-of-state guest. My guest today is Brian Mann with Remax in North Carolina. Um, Brian was reintroduced to me um, through, I guess it would be your first cousin, and it would be my best friend from high school's Correct. husband. Yeah, your cousin, my best friend from high school's um, husband, uh, Andrew, and um, he kind of introduced us via email as uh, having parallel Remax paths. Um, and ironically, you and I met each other probably almost 20 years ago at their wedding, so go, go figure. But uh, Brian, welcome to the podcast. Why don't you take a minute or two just to kind of introduce yourself to my guests. And I think I had told you my guests tend to be a mix of real estate consumers and real estate practitioners. So a lot of my listeners are just fellow realtors. So go ahead and uh, take a few moments. Thanks, Tom. So uh, my name is Brian Mann from uh, Greensboro, North Carolina. Uh, we have two Remax franchises, uh, one in Greensboro and one in Winston-Salem. For those that know this area, this is the triad of North Carolina. Um, yeah, Tom was mentioning that we kind of have same similar paths. So we're doing a podcast, uh, the name of it's Raising Real Estate Standards. We have a bunch of different, you know, we have agents and we have consumers uh on there listening but but for the for the most part we're uh focused on the agents and and it's uh our focus is on kind of training getting you know nuggets into their hands and just making them better in the business you know we we figured you know what a better way to raise the bar of our industry than to hit everybody out there not just our agents so that's kind of what we've been focused on yeah, I've, I've noticed over the years that realtors in our industry, I think we're much better about sharing our wealth of information. It's not, we don't quite hold it so close. Like we want the industry to do better and everybody wants to provide better service. I've noticed we're all sharing a little bit more than say 20 years ago. So talk to me about that. How long have you been in the business and how did you get into this crazy business? So I've been in the business since 08, let's call it. So right, right before, right with the downturn happening. Um, I get asked that question a lot. How long have I been in the business? And my normal answer is my whole life. And the reason is, is because my parents have been real estate agents as long as I can remember. Uh, my mom was a top producer here in Greensboro, uh, for at that time it was Prudential, but now they're, what is it? Home services now. Anyway, uh, so she was with them. We were just kind of ingrained in this business. You know, we were, we kind of adopted the mindset of, I hate to say it like this, but working all the time. And that, and that's just kind of, uh, kind of what we've done. So yeah, I've been in the business for about 15 years myself. I'm a CPA by trade. Okay. So, so CPA by trade went and worked for the, um, the CPA firm did all that, uh, ran, ran that, that gamut, uh, went and worked in in industry for a little while. Uh, so I was an accountant for a company. Then as my, as my parents were um, doing well in this business, they started the Remax franchise. Uh, my brothers were already involved and I wasn't. I was just ready to get out of the business, of the uh, accounting business, 
my mom said, hey, why don't you come over and help us out? We don't really have anybody with your skill set. Brought me in, and since then, long story short, they've turned the business over to me and my brothers. So we really complement each other from that standpoint. Yeah, so that's interesting. I didn't know you were a numbers guy. That makes a lot of sense. I would think that skill set obviously um, transitions very well. You need you, you need a numbers person. So do you do your own? Are you the CPA for your firm, or do you uh, bring in outside help for that? Oh no, yeah, we we bring in outside help. Okay. I. I um, I, when I when I left the firm, I said I would. I actually did tax returns for like a little bit outside of that afterwards. But then I was like, no more, no more. Now I do all of our internal stuff, but then we have CPAs that handle a lot of that uh, ex, on the external side. Yeah, it's interesting. You know, we manage. I manage people's real estate wealth, and I tell people I'm. I'm the opposite of a CPA, but I always tell everyone I can figure out 6% of any number in the world, which people think is pretty humorous, and I, I can actually do that. But, yeah, we bring in uh, outside help for, uh, for CPAs and things like that, absolutely. It, it's good you say that because that's kind of what we tell people. That's, the, that's about the only math that, right. that typical real estate agents yeah. know. <laughs> yeah. yeah, understanding comparables isn't, isn't really – you don't need to be a CPA for that. Um, all right. Talk to me a little bit about your market, because uh, most or all of my listeners don't know anything about North Carolina. And the reason I want to know about your market in a snapshot is, I don't know if you agree or not, but I find myself doubting a lot of the information that's out there, whether you call it fake news or misinformation or whatever it is, unless the data that I'm looking at comes from the National Association of Realtors, the Wisconsin Realtors, or our local association, I tend to doubt if it's real or not, because you see all this doom and gloom, and now I'm seeing articles and YouTube videos saying the market is crashing, and it, it's crashing or it's going to crash, and I'm thinking to myself, with my own market here, there's no there's no crash at all. It's, it's a total seller's market. So give me kind of a snapshot of your – well, tr- describe again what is your area in North Carolina, and just kind of give us a snapshot of what's going on right now, um, what's been going on, and what your prediction is for this year. Yeah, so um, I see things exactly the way you kind of uh, alluded to there. Probably the biggest thing that the listeners should get out of that is don't pay attention to all the headlines you see when you talk when they when they're talking about real estate. Um, it's just it's just not true. And and you know we were talking about this the other day. You know a typical buyer's market is about seven months worth of inventory. Okay. Now our market, which to to answer your question is the triad of North Carolina. So Greensboro, Winston-Salem, High Point. Basically, if you think about the middle of the state of North Carolina, that's us. Um, So I believe I heard we had 1.1 month inventory on the market. And that's that's with us slowing slowing down uh, for the last two months. We're nowhere close to a buyer's market. It would take just an absolute stop in the market for that to happen. So yeah, so we had a t- we had a, a slowdown over the last two months, but you know, come from two things. Number one, the increase in mortgage rates where they just shot them up so fast, it basically just um, paralyzed the market from that standpoint short term. Secondly. I truly believe, which we, I don't know about you guys, but we have not seen this business be seasonal in probably the last five to eight years. Okay, interesting. So I've always said we're seasonal. We are. We have been 100% seasonal until COVID. I mean, honestly, we could take off Thanksgiving and New Year's the first 23 years in this business. Since COVID, there are no real estate seasons. It's just a seller's market right now. So continue. Sorry to interrupt you. Yeah, yeah. So, so that's kind of – so. 
typically in a seasonal market, you would see late November, early December, you'd kind of see it slow down into January, into February. So January and February would be a lot colder. And then you'd start to see it tick out back in March. And it's weather related too. So I don't know if you guys, if it's longer for y'all because it's colder up there or what, but that's typically what we've dealt with when it's been seasonal. The last, let's call it five years, it hasn't been that way. Yeah. We've had some some years where we've done more transactions in December than we did in any of the months throughout the year. So I truly believe what we've seen over the last little bit has been the interest rate paralyzation of the market, and then we're finally getting back to a seasonality aspect of it. Yeah. That's uh, relatively easy for me to understand because I can relate it to our, we've always been seasonal and our seasons here are more distinct, I believe. And I'm not super familiar with your market and the weather and the climate, but I believe it. You don't have the swings like we do. It's it's always a a bit warmer. So even when you say it gets colder, it gets a little colder here. When it gets colder, it goes in fall from, you know, 50, 60 degrees to winter, which is like zero. (laughs) So the, the swings tend to be a little bit heavier. And I have seen the seasonality of our market kind of disappear uh, since COVID and since it's flipped to a, a seller's market. We used to co- counsel our sellers to you know just hold off over the holidays and enlist February or March 1st. Now you look at the inventory, which is non-existent, and we say there's no benefit to waiting or trying to time the market. So let's just go ahead and list it now. So if you had to give me an average, your, your average sale price in the MLS for your triad area, 300, 400, 500, 600, what's your average house? 250 to 300 it's picking up um so back when i started it was about 125 150 yeah Um, we've seen a huge increase number one we've seen the increase everybody else has but then north carolina as a whole is just a fast-growing state um Mm. and then our area is really starting to pick up steam the raleigh area and the charlotte area have have grown just tons over Mm. the last 10 plus years we're now starting to do that. We're starting to see the industry roll into town, and that's really picking up uh, our housing market. Have a house to sell, but not sure who to trust when it comes to getting the best deal and leveraging the current market? Trust the experts at the Tom Didier team. With over a quarter century of selling Milwaukee, Tom and his team of real estate experts are here to ensure that you get every penny you deserve out of selling your home. No matter where you live in the dairy state, put one of Wisconsin's top real estate teams to work for you in selling your home and making the most of your real estate investment. Looking to buy a house instead? Tom and his team have you covered here as well, helping you craft and perfect the offer on your dream home. Visit SellingMilwaukee.com to find out how much your home could be worth and connect with the team to make your next real estate transaction a dream. Now, back to the show. Why the growth? Why are people going there? Is it for your weather, for your sports, for your recreation? Are there tax advantages? Is it the people? Is it the coasts? Is it, uh, what, what would you attribute it to? So um, from, a, from a political standpoint, uh, we've been fairly industry pro for four years now, maybe. So, so industry wants to come to the state. You know, we were always having to compete with South Carolina. South Carolina is just throwing tax incentives at companies. 
So we would lose a lot of businesses. We were in the running for a BMW plant not long ago, ended up losing them to uh, a city in South Carolina, uh, which picked them up. We had all we had just lost a lot of business to South Carolina or the opportunity to get business. Um, so we've since changed that that aspect, and we're, we're really getting more pro-business at this point and, and bringing in business, making it um, more lucrative to come here. Um, so that's the one thing. The, the other thing is exactly what you said. We have the mountains. We have the coast. Mm-hmm. You can live in the central part of the state where I'm at, and I'm, I'm three hours from the coast, an hour, 45 minutes from the mountains. So if I just want to go either place for a weekend, I'm there. But really where we've seen our biggest growth is um, not necessarily from the northeast. You usually see a migration of people going from northeast down to like Florida, let's say. But what, what has happened over time is they'll go down to Florida, find out that it's, it's too warm for them, too hot for them. And then they come what we what they say halfway back. They come halfway back to the north, which is usually South Carolina, North Carolina, this area. So we get a lot of people that come in that way. All right. So let's go back to your, your average of the, the average real estate in your, in your market. A new listing comes up for two ninety nine, a three-bedroom ranch in a very desirable neighborhood you know, tomorrow. What's the market activity going to be like? What's that seller going to expect uh, listing their home for two ninety nine? Assuming that you were in charge of pricing it and you have the mm-hmm. dream seller that just says, Brian, you know, sell my house, price it accordingly, and you say two ninety nine is the right price. What can that seller expect in this market right now? If you're at the right price, you could probably have it under contract in a week, week and a half. Okay. I See. mean, we're still pretty busy when it comes to that. You know, we're selling. It's an inventory thing now, like right. like you said, Tom. It's an inventory thing now because you might not have twenty showings all at one time on this house. But there's still very little inventory. So the five people that look at it in one day, most likely one's going to buy it. Yeah. Yeah, it seems real similar. We have some similar market conditions, I think. And ironically, that's I'm guessing that's about our average also is that 300 range. And ironically, when I started a bit longer time ago, 27 years ago, you know, starter homes in my market were like 100,000. Now mm-hmm. a lot, a vacant lot is more than 100,000 here. So it's a, it's a crazy time. Kind of a um, mundane question, but buyer agency, buyer seller agency in your market, do you guys do buyer agency, seller agency, dual agency? Um, are you guys always working for one or the other, or do you have dual agency where you can work for both and remain? Yeah, we have dual agency as well. Okay. Um, we have actually, so we have buyer's agency, we have seller's agency, and we have dual agency. And part of our dual agency, we also have a designated dual agency. So what that means is, let's say agent has a buyer who wants to buy also this agent seller's house. Yeah. Um, they can designate the buyer agency. Usually it goes to the, the broker, uh, broker in charge, and basically he or she will uh, facilitate that side of the transaction. That way everything's kind of kept separate and, and above board. Similar but different. I'm, I'm guessing our states have a lot more similarities than they do differences. What about approved forms? Like in the state of Wisconsin, we have approved forms, which allow us as realtors to fill in those forms and negotiate those forms on behalf. Attorneys are not required to do a transaction. I believe we talked earlier, that's not the case, correct? That's correct. So um, when, when it comes to forms, I mean, and I'm, I'm, I'm not, I think this is what you're talking about is the actual closing, but the forms itself... We can negotiate things like terms on the form. We just can't 
put anything extra in there. We can't draft it. Okay. All that has to be done by an attorney. But we're considered a, an attorney state. Yeah. So once you go, uh, once you go into contract, go through the closing process, we have to close with an attorney here locally. Mm-hmm. Every buyer and seller needs to have attorney representation on any real estate transaction in the state of North Carolina. You can, but but typically what's going to happen is is the the attorney that's closing it is technically the buyer's attorney. Okay. But the seller most likely is not going to have anybody represent him because the real estate agent technically is going to handle majority of that piece of it, the due diligence, the making sure everything's right on the statements and whatnot. So um so really it's just it's just more of a process than than a representation. Gotcha. And I, I would be willing to bet that most buyers don't even realize that they're actually being represented by this attorney. But as the listing agent, if it's your listing that you just listed for two ninety nine and you have the five offers that comes in, you guys as the realtor, you are presenting them, um, negotiating them, advising the client on the strengths and weaknesses of each offer, that sort of thing. You're just not actually drafting oh, yeah. the contract. Absolutely. Yep, okay. 100%. So with multiple offer situations, what kind of tips and tricks are you guys doing in that state to get your buyer's offer accepted? Where, you know, here in Wisconsin, I would say some of the things the buyers are doing to get their offer accepted. Number one, uh, the easy one is don't have contingencies, you know, cash offer, no inspections, um, no contingencies, period. That, that helps. Um, other things are they are willing to have no proration of taxes. They're saying, you know what, Mr. Seller, don't even prorate the taxes. I'll take the whole thing. What kind of tips are you seeing out there in your state to get buyers' offers chosen over somebody else? I've heard everything. So, all right. um, um, I also heard the tax piece. I haven't seen it in practice here, but I've I've heard the proration of taxes. Um, Any any kind of closing costs, you know, we'll cover that. Um, I actually haven't seen it in practice. The one big thing we really, well, two big things. One is, I don't know, so do y'all have due diligence as part of your transaction? So um, used to be earnest money here. You know, I'm going to give you earnest money to go under under contract. Mm-hmm. We have now what's called due diligence, which is very similar to a commercial contract. I'm basically going to give you due diligence. It's, it's non-refundable. And it allows me to do all my due diligence during this time period that's stated in the contract. Interesting. So, you, so one of the things yeah. we saw was this due diligence fee go through the roof. So it would not be abnormal to see twenty, twenty-five thousand dollar due diligence fees. This is non-refundable. Wow. So remember, this buyer goes into this house and they have no clue. Um, what they're going to have to do, and then this fee is non-refundable. So we had about. We had about a year of that, and then uh, once the market started to slow down a little bit, you saw that drastically decrease. Interesting. So the terminology is different. Like you pointed out, our term is earnest money, and the earnest money mm-hmm. either comes with the offer, meaning it literally accompanies the offer. It's a check you know, clipped to the offer, or typically earnest money um, is due within one day, two days, three days, whatever it might be, and that amount, obviously, we have seen go through the roof also. It used to be something simple like, um, again, there's nothing there's nothing standard or normal about anything, but you know, a thousand dollars per hundred thousand uh, back in the normal mm-hmm. market was was very common. Now, a three hundred thousand dollar listing might see an earnest money check of twenty five thousand uh, dollars be due within uh, a few days. Interestingly, you know, um, it can or cannot be refundable, so it depends on how you offer it. But um, 
yeah, we did see a, a bit of that also. What about rent back? Uh, in our market, a lot of buyers were saying, here's your offer, it's overpriced, there's no contingencies, and Mr. Seller, you can choose any closing time between here and here, and once we close, you can stay in this house rent-free for up to 30 days, 60 days, whatever. Is that a popular um, negotiating? We have that. Yeah. We have that. Not a, People don't like to use that, number one, because it's not really – it's not really kosher with our standard contract. So our standard contract basically gives about a 14-day window leeway uh, for closing. So if you don't close on the date that it says closing, you basically have this little window to be able to close within that time. Now, our, um, our commission here basically looks, if you go over that 14 days, then you're in a typical uh, landlord-tenant situation. So you need to actually have a lease agreement drawn up for that time period. Yeah. Um, so that's how we'd handle that. It's usually, I mean, if, if, if you have to do it to keep the deal together, so be it. But a lot of times there, there adds risks, mm -hmm. uh, number one is the buyer still going to be able to get the financing at that point right. now you've got if they can't now you've got either a tenant if you want to keep them or a squatter if you don't right. um and it just it just adds other kind of complexities to the situation yep again a lot of mostly similarities different terms you know our we have an addendum here addendum o occupancy agreement and it so it's a pretty it's a state approved form it's pretty simple you just fill in the blanks it it spells out how many days the seller can stay it spells out what, if anything, the charge will be. It spells out what the damages will be if the occupant decides to not leave. So, and again, you can you can only do so much. Um, you can't predict everything, but it, it still is a pretty popular negotiating um, term, I would say, in this market here. So we'll see where it goes. Gotcha. So, what's your bold prediction for the year? You see the twenty three being similar to twenty two, or what are you what are you seeing? Uh, well, I'm gonna, I'm gonna back up for a second. Okay. Mm -hmm. Um, the, we've got one more thing that I don't know if y'all do this or not, or did this, but this came out big time on, on multiple offers, escalation clauses. Yep. Did y'all have any of that? Yep. We call it escalation and acceleration. I've seen brokerages use different forms, but the, we all have our own forms now and yep. And the terms can be pretty outrageous. At outrageous. And I'm going to tell you the ones that have come into dispute and that have made it up to uh, commission here. Commission does not like these no, at all. Yeah, no. Um, and and you, I, I haven't seen anybody get in trouble for it yet. But it just it just muddied up the waters. Yep. It, it absolutely muddies up the waters because here in Wisconsin, brokers cannot disclose any information about any terms to anybody. But that doesn't mean the buyers and sellers can't. So what it does here in Wisconsin, it says the escalation clause has all these terms, but then the seller is responsible for providing written information to the buyer directly to prove that there was an offer of X. So we have to step back. We're not allowed to you know, be involved in that. So it really places a huge responsibility on the seller. Um, it, I think you used the word correctly. It muddies up the waters. It's, it's tough to, mm -hmm. it can be tough to negotiate. Uh, but at the end of the day, if we're representing our seller's interest and this has an escalation clause saying they will pay up to this number above and beyond any other offer, yeah, they were they were really popular for a while. I'm I'm seeing them start to fade, and I think the realtors themselves, like you said, they muddy up the waters, and nobody really wants to participate in the in the muddy waters. So, yeah, I haven't seen one in probably two or three months okay. here, which is a good thing for our market. Yeah. So, so are you seeing? Um, yeah, back to predicting your you know what your 23 mm -hmm. is going to be. You're predicting a little bit of normalcy, or still just a total seller's market? 
it's going to be a total seller's market. Like I said, because I mean, when I say total seller's market, I'm, I don't think it's going to be as outrageous and crazy as it has been over the last two years. Um, I think you're going to see some normalcy in the, the, um, amount of transactions, uh, the amount of buyers out there. I think you're going to see some inventory tick back on the market, which will kind of help that piece. But like I said, you're going to have to see a, you're going to have to see a huge increase in in inventory in order to get out of being a a total seller's market. I mean, like I said, we're one and a half months, I believe, and seven months is is a buyer's market. We got a long way to go to get there. Mm -hmm. Again, uh, a lot of similarities there. Um, Talk to me about uh, investment properties and property management. Another similarity you and I have Mm -hmm. is that we have a an affiliation with a separate uh, but same property management company. So um, tell us a little bit about your property management company and what the investment market's like there. Yeah, so our property management company, uh, Realty Consultants Property Management, um, it, it's local. We don't we don't have like a franchise or anything. We just kind of started it up on our own. And we actually started this in and around that 08, 09, 10 time frame when we had a bunch of clients who couldn't sell their houses in the downturn. And we were like, we had to come up with something to help them. So we basically came up with this idea of kind of, hey, why don't you go find something else, find something to rent? We know you don't want to go through foreclosure on this property. Let's see if we can find somebody that can rent your property for that expense amount. And then you're kind of you're kind of free for a little bit from that standpoint. So that worked out really well. That company grew uh, from from that standpoint, from that base. Um and it just kept growing, and, and we basically spun it off. We, we, we started it under our REMAX umbrella, but then we kind of we rolled it off into its own thing. Um, we now have, we have eight um, staff members. We've actually got one person that just runs the whole office. Mm-hmm. Um, we have properties from here to Charlotte. We've got a few in South Carolina, um, just all over the Piedmont, um, 12 counties, I believe. Uh, we have roughly around 500 um, properties now. Mm-hmm. Okay. Oh, matter of fact, we just actually acquired um, a management company in the area. Congrats. So that was our first acquisition we've done. So when did you we're, close? We're, we're enjoying the growth. Yeah. When did you close on your first acquisition? Uh, about a month ago. Good. Congrats. That, yeah. That's big. We've done a couple of those as well, and I've found them both to be um, good learning experiences. Made some mistakes for sure won't happen yep. again. So that's, that's fine. But overall, it's been important to the growth of the company for sure. So that's awesome. Is that on the horizon to acquire some more people over the years or small, small companies? We're working with one now. It's not really going to be an acquisition as much as it's just going to be they're winding down their business and they've got Takeover. Yeah. not many, but I think they have 20 clients and they're just kind of rolling them into us. Um, yeah. So yeah, we'd love to do more acquisitions and, and we're putting it out there to people if they're wanting to get out of the business. But, if, but right now, and you probably have seen this as well, having property management part of your portfolio of businesses is really good for real estate because for the most part, it's not going to be that lucrative. But right now, it's pretty good. When things kind of tick down a little bit, it's pretty good. So it gives you kind of that hedge. We also kept it. We didn't. We never actually brought it into the Remax company because it's such a different animal here. Um, but it is an important spoke in the wheel of real estate. It's a very, very important hub to have. 
Um, it's been a, it's worked out great for both companies to be in that space. So again, some more similarities. And then the management takeover, that's what we call, we've done a couple acquisitions. We've done a couple of smaller things we just call management takeover where we're taking over somebody's portfolio, whether it be 10 or 20 or 30 homes. And that's been a real important part of our growth as well. So again, a lot of similarities. Yeah. The, um, you were asking about the uh, investment property here. Um, investment took off last year. Again, going back to North Carolina has just grown or it's in, in the process of growing so fast. We saw tons of investors come from out of state wanting to invest in single family, multifamily, uh, some commercial um, so we saw a lot of that, not just people internally here uh, in our area purchasing, but also people from out of state, a lot like from California, mm-hmm. um, out west a lot. So if I, as a consumer, want to invest in your market, can I come to North Carolina with $150,000 cash? Can I buy a single family home somewhere in that triad market? And if so, what's that going to rent for? Sure. Well, it, it, it depends on what you're looking for. So if you're looking for just like straight up cash flow, kind of lower end of the spectrum, yeah, you can probably buy one, maybe two uh, with that. Um, If you're looking at kind of mid-range, you want to get decent amount of cash flow, but you want it to appreciate too over time, um, you're probably not going to be able to get that with 150. But what I would always tell people is don't buy it with all cash anyway. Take that 150 and, and put... $20,000 $20,000 down on, you know, five, six different houses. Yeah. Same thing. Leverage it and, and build your wealth quicker, man. So many similarities. We should, uh, we should visit each other's, uh, it, it sounds <laughs> like, it sounds like so many, same thing here. And it, it depends by region. So using counties, it's like in Ozaki County, you can't really buy a house for 150. Maybe you can buy one for 200. You're not going to cash flow it at all. In fact, you might be feeding it 200 bucks a month, but mm-hmm. that equity, you know, the value of that home is going up two to three times what it is in Milwaukee County. Uh, we still have a lot of great investment opportunities in Milwaukee County, but same thing. They just, the prices don't double overnight either. So again, a lot of similarities depending on the, on the location. All right, let's switch gears to technology for, um, for both my consumers and my fellow realtors. What are you guys using um, on your real estate end for technology? Obviously we, we get inundated as realtors every day for new potential technology platforms. But what, what are you using? What's been good? And you know, if you have any failures you want to talk about, feel free to say we tried this and it was horrible. So um, I, I'm not going to be able to give you too much on the tech side because that's that's really my brother deals with a lot of that. But I will say, you know, we 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 tried our hardest to push Bouge, the Remax platform that they were doing. And I'm going to tell you, it just it kind of flopped. Um you know, and, and it's because people tried to get in there and tried to get in there before it was really all finished and it just didn't work. And then people got frustrated with it. So, um, so back up, I think our agents basically did whatever they wanted to do or what they liked. They went out and did it on their own. Boosh came in, we were able to get everybody under one platform that didn't last very long. They all went back to doing their own thing again. Um, now we've got KV core coming in and I think people are pretty excited about it. I'm just hoping, um, and I think a lot of people have this kind of, um, uh, cautious optimism about it because of what happened before. Mm-hmm. 
So, um, so that's it on the agent end. Um, what other kind of technology um, well, would you mean? Like uh, as far as do you guys do digital advertising? What kind of uh, ah. CRMs are you using? Are you, is the brokerage and the agents are they buying leads? And if so, from where? And is there a return on that investment? That has died a hmm. lot. Um, there are still agents that are buying leads. Yeah. Uh, they're few and far between. Um, our market, and I would imagine this is probably, I don't know. Uh, our market has really been strong on the relationship side. So you could buy leads. If that's what you want to do, you can buy leads. But your return on investment, I mean, if you could right. get a dollar for every $3 you spent, that would be fantastic. Mm -hmm. But when you turn around and you you focus on your sphere itself, and you focus on referrals, yeah. um, you're going to get so much more of a return on investment yeah. from that. We're considered a quote-unquote Buffini-type office, so mm -hmm. we've always taught this way of doing business. Our agents are focused on that. We have agents from other agencies that come in that aren't familiar with that, and we go through a training process with them to teach them how to do it. And it's funny because... You know, I have agents come in from other quote unquote brands that are focused on cold calling and cold selling and, and, and really doing that. It kind of banged into their head. That, that was what they had to do, what they needed to do to make it in this business. And then we bring them in and we talk to them about, hey, is, do you like doing this? We usually give them a disc test because through that test, you'll be able to tell, are you going to be better kind of out there cold lead generating or are you going to be better actually relationally, you know, going and having conversations with people, asking for the referral, that kind of stuff. So then what, what typically happens is they're like, man, yeah, that just stunk. I, I hated doing that. I, I just I, I pulled my hair out thinking that I had to do all that. And then we train them on this new way. And then they go out and they just, they, they kill it from that standpoint. It's, it's funny. Again, similarities. Um, you know, we, we do disc assessments. A lot of our agents have done the Feeney training. And again, um, the best lead in the world is always a referral. And it's generally from mm -hmm. a referral in a relationship that you already have established. It's so much easier just to keep maintaining that relationship and generate leads from that. Um, same thing. We, we've tried, and we try to be pretty open-minded. Like, I'll take a Zoom meeting with anybody about anything. I just took one last week. Can't remember the name of the platform. It was another digital ad campaign where it's pretty creepy, where not only can you buy zip codes or areas, but you can hone in on addresses specifically. So now, through geotagging, you can literally pick the Home Depot in North Carolina, say Salem, I think that's one of your, in Salem, and you can own that tent over that Home Depot and the consumers are going to be inundated with Brian Mann ads if you pay him to do that. It's, it's, it's pretty interesting. But um, I guess the point I was saying is that we've tried everything. We've had some success. I have also seen the quality and the quantity of leads available online go down, which I think is a good thing. I think that's a move in the right direction back to the consumer being partnered with somebody that uh, is not just from typing in your name and number because a consumer doesn't they have no idea number one they're being handed off to a to somebody um, and I we try and do a good job of counseling our buyers during buyer consultations like do not go out there and fill in your name and number on anybody's platform except for ours so again similarity I think it's I wouldn't say it's died but I've seen it be less and less effective and hopefully we're seeing a return just a good old fashioned 
marketing and relationship building. Yeah. I'll tell you one thing we, we do, we do that has been pretty effective. First of all, social media is its own, you know, animal itself. Um, and there are people that do really, really well with that here. And there are people that don't, they want to, but they don't understand the ins and outs and what to and what not to do on social media. So again, that's its own, um, animal. But what we've done a lot is number one is our podcast. That's been tremendous for us. Uh, and then also we do videos. So we've actually got a video producer, uh, that helps us with the different businesses, whether it be our Remax. Um, we've put a bunch of videos out for that. And we do little micro, uh, snippets Mm -hmm. that we put out, I think about daily, um, just little educational pieces that like 15, 20 seconds long. Yeah. We do uh, an investor series for our property management company that really is geared towards um, teaching new investors or even, you know, uh, seasoned investors kind of some tricks and whatnot and ideas on uh, better in their business. Uh, but th- that's really helped us from, from that. Story. And that's, there's a cost that's associated with that because, you know, obviously we have some, a professional that's helping us with that. But at the end of the day, I mean, you could really do a lot of that stuff on your own with mm-hmm. your phone and just and start putting that stuff out there. The the one thing I always hear is I don't like to I don't like to hear myself and I don't like to see myself. Right. And if you just do it and put it out there, just don't watch it. Right. You know, just don't watch it and get it out there because here's the thing. If you don't put something out there, you're 100 percent going to get zero from it. Right. But if you put something out there, even if you don't like it, your likelihood goes up tremendously on getting a lead or any, you know, anything else from that standpoint. Right. Again, a lot of similarities. Um, I think with technology, you do have to spend money to make money. And I've seen your, your YouTubes, and I think the, the consumer recognizes um, a professional product over a – not saying do-it-yourselfers can't do or don't do a great job, but – um, I think the consumer recognizes when something's done professionally. It's certainly my case. Like as far as this podcast goes, I'm I'm not really don't know anything about technology, so I rely on <laughs> my producer to do everything. Um, and like you said, I don't necessarily enjoy looking at myself or hearing myself, but I do have a lot to say and share. And I figured, well, it's kind of a personal goal growth thing. Like if I can do a podcast and share some of the some of the knowledge I have with others, then great, you know, why not? So it's worked out well. So that's good. You get used to it. Yeah, you do. And so you're, that's a long-term thing play for you guys. You're going to do the podcast and the um, video production until either until it's not fun or until there's no reason to do it. Right. Yeah. I mean, really we were thinking about the, the other day, you know, we love our job. We love what we do. We love our businesses, but that's probably one of the things, you know, that really takes us away from the, the stresses of it all because th- this is a stressful business let's just be honest yeah. um and that kind of takes us away from the stresses of it all so we use it as a disconnect but yeah it's funny we were talking this morning putting our podcast together we've been doing this is our third season on the podcast okay. so yeah when you say long term it already feels long term because right. when we got started we we're like are we going to do this like twice three right. four times and then be done yeah well, good for you for sticking with it. So you, it's kind of a leading question, so I'll ask you about your work-life balance, and feel free to answer it as honestly as you want, because when I get asked that, I say there really, in my opinion, in real estate, there isn't a balance because I don't consider this a job. It's a lifestyle, and if you want to live this lifestyle, you have to be on 24-7, and everyone's a potential customer. Um, you got to be, you know, to check out, you got to literally, at least for me, I have to physically leave the area, turn off my phone. So how do you how do you find your... Uh, your work-life balance, if there is such a thing. Yeah, so it's funny you say that because, all right, so um, so my wife is a real estate agent. So our whole family, again, is in real estate. 
Um, and you're exactly right. You live this life. You know, there's no, there's no time you can just stop. And that's affected us because we go nonstop. You know, I have six different businesses. She's got her sales business. She's a top producer. We have three kids. I mean, it's just, it's nonstop. So uh, we implemented just this past week. Um, so we did it our first time and it was pretty good, uh, successful, I thought, but we've introduced a Sabbath. So we actually disconnect from everything. Um, The kids, uh, myself, my wife, phones are off, all that's done, no social media. Um, We do do, we, we, we have TV, so we'll, we'll, um, you know, connect from that standpoint, but that's more kind of sitting with the family, watching a movie, stuff like that. And we found that this past week, was tremendous. N- not only just the ability to disconnect from the stress and 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 sit around and read and this and that, but it was it was the when Monday came around, we were recharged. We felt like we had more energy to take on the week. So so, I know a lot of people aren't doing that, but we we're, we've tried to do that. I read a book on it. Um, it's supposed to really help mental health. I mean, all kinds of things from that standpoint, and just just totally disconnecting, give it a day and then, and then go back at it. So fair to say this Sabbath is practiced on a Sunday. Yeah, but you can practice on any day. It doesn't, mine is religious based, mine is Christian based, but you can, you basically just take the concepts of it, apply it to any day you have, and just basically disconnect from everything that you're running towards, you know, every day of your life. And how long have you been practicing this? This uh, this past week, oh, awesome. literally, we just started. Good we just you. started, so we'd been studying up on it, and yeah. then, but it was it was very successful. That's awesome. I'm I'm proud of you and happy for you because that's that's great. I mean, we all we're all you know going after the same thing, um, yeah. And that's awesome. We just I just mentioned I have to leave my wife and I just got back from a um, five day cruise, and that's that's a great disconnect for for me because I'm physically not here. So and I've got team and staff that are super supportive and. You can actually disconnect and come back. And yeah, you always, I always come back from a vacation recharged. So you do a lot of, uh, as far as your brokerage and um, your team, do you guys do a lot of continuing education, conventions, um, you know, self-help, things like that? Yeah, so um, we do R4, uh, I say about every year, every year. Um, I think there was one year we didn't go. Um, We even went to Orlando during COVID, which was pretty cool. Um, so we do that. We do, um, we also, we have a school. So, um, so we actually, we do our own continuing education licensing classes. You know, we offer it to our agents here, but we also offer it to, uh, agents outside of our office. But, um, my wife and I and and my parents and and brothers have all been to San Diego for, uh, Buffini's, uh, mastermind event. We've, we've done that a couple of times. That's really, really good. But then we also go to his, uh, more local, events uh we one closest to us is in richmond virginia and we'll go to that probably once a year as well so yeah we always try to incorporate with these events um i believe jared james has one uh, or had one in nashville we had some agents that went to that as well yeah jared james uh seems to be making um, a good solid impression on our industry the Mm -hmm. last few years i think he's got a lot of good relevant information um, what about Ninja selling? You guys, uh, is is the Ninja platform big down there? Have you guys uh, had any agents? It's here. It's not within our office. Okay. Um, there, there's a uh, 
there's a um, lady in Raleigh that we're connected with, okay. and she does a lot of that training. And we're hoping to bring her in and basically, you know, offer that up to our agents here. Our philosophy is, you know, we're going to offer you everything. You decide what you want to take. It's almost like a buffet. You know, if you want a little bit of this and a little bit of this, have at it. Right. Gotcha. Yeah. Uh, Ninja seemed to be a trendy thing here, and I don't know if it was temporary or not, but for a while, before this is before COVID, it was kind of, mm-hmm. everyone was, was, was taking that. Um, all right, if you can go back in time and uh, tell something to Brian Mann at age 20, what are you going to tell 20-year-old Brian Mann right now to prepare him oh, for gosh. the um, rest of his life? I would probably tell him to slow down. I ran really fast. I didn't do the best things. I didn't make some of the best choices, and 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 I ran really fast. And had I known then what I know now, I would have told myself to slow down because it, it's the whole. It's like a it's like a marathon once you get to this point, and you just got to be able to keep yep. up. Yep. You think you do a better job of that, or you think Brian Mann needs to tell Brian Mann occasionally in twenty twenty three to slow down as well. I think I'm tell I, I think I'm doing a better job of that now. I mean, nobody does a fantastic job at it, obviously, but I think I do a better job of it now than I used to. You just got to be intentional about it. Again, I'm gonna go back to the rest days. You know, um, you got to be intentional about that stuff because, you know, we don't realize as much as we run, as hard as we run, especially in this business that takes a toll on your health yeah, absolutely. and we do it every day and think it's normal. Absolutely. Totally agree. I've, you know, at age, I'm older than you, I'm 50, but, uh, you know, our life that we're at is always a cultivation of our experiences. And I have a total new appreciation. When I was age 20, 21, I didn't, I, I wouldn't have given a whole lot of thought or time to, um, mental health or, um, physical health or a lot of things. You just kind of, you just roll with it, right? You're 21. You just let's, yeah. let's go nuts. And yeah, nowadays you're like, man, that shit catches up with you. So you got to like yeah, yep. take a little slow. Yeah. Great advice. You're just having fun early on. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what about uh, mentors? If you, if you have uh, 30 minutes of anyone in the world right now, I could bring them here on this podcast platform and you could interview them. Who would you uh, interview? Oh, that's a great question. So, um, and I've always tried to surround myself with mentors. Um, I currently have one that is really good. And if you don't know Wayne Frederick, mm-hmm. um, he's fantastic. He's out of uh, Springfield, Missouri. He will have some classes at R4, and he is great. Um, check him out. So he, he coaches my brothers and myself, um, just kind of business coaching uh, with the firm. Um but outside of outside of Wayne, um, you know, one one I've always had was Robert Kiyosaki, believe it or not. That's the rich dad, poor dad? Yes. Yeah, yes. Yep. As contrarian as he can be on so many things, he's got a lot of gold nugget wisdom within all that. Um I love I love uh, listening to him. Uh, I love reading his books. I didn't know he had a lot of, to be, I mean, I recognize the name because I read the book 20 some years ago mm-hmm. and it was a good quick read. I guess I didn't know he was still producing uh, and creating relevant content. He's still writing a lot of Yeah, so books. he's got a podcast. Okay. He's got, I think it's called the Rich Dad Podcast. Okay. Um, well, and again, it's good, but you have to, he, he can be negative. Yeah. 
Um, so you have to, I know a lot of people have a hard time listening to that kind of rhetoric. So you've, you've got to kind of filter through that. But he's got really, really good stuff on there. And he's really smart when it comes to certain things. Okay. I'm making, making a lot of notes here. Well, this was good. I appreciate it, Brian. We're about to wrap up here. I've learned a lot. It's interesting. The most, the most interesting thing to me about this um, podcast is the similarities between our markets and our practices and our people. And, you know, I'm sure there's some differences in the climate and the, um, you know, you've got mountains and things like that, but uh, a lot of similarities, I think, too. And I've heard people say from your area that people, you know, you hear about like Midwest values, which is a real thing. Like people here, we do, we really do have Midwest values, but I've heard that about your area as well, which is probably what's drawing people to your areas that people take care of each other. People are kind. People look out yeah. for each other. Southern hospitality. Yep. Yep. It's a real thing. So I think that we're both doing this for the same reasons, right? It's kind of a personal growth, personal goal thing. And, and we're rolling with it and we'll keep doing it until it's either not fun or until we've offered everything we have to offer. Correct. Absolutely. Absolutely. And good luck out there this year. Um, I'm sure I really do think, um, that we're going to be good. It's going to be a good market. And, and like you said, all the similarities, you know, you hear, you hear the reports and what we don't have similarities with typically are going to be the larger cities that everybody focuses on when it comes to real estate. Oh, real estate's getting killed. Well, you're talking about Arizona, California, you know, New York, Florida, you know, uh, when you're talking about Wisconsin or talking about North Carolina, you know, or specifically our areas in the state, there are a lot of similarities. When you go to the, the more suburban type areas, I feel like across the country, they're going to be very similar. I agree. Again, similar, similar beliefs based on, you know, my track record. I see that the same thing. I tell people there's just so much demand out there. There's no, there can't be a bubble and I could be wrong, I, um, but there can't be a bubble with so much demand right now. So hopefully we Agreed. figured it out. Well, thank you for joining us, Brian, man. I will see you. Uh, let's hook up in a few weeks. I guess it'll be in Las Vegas. Uh, introduce, uh, I'll introduce you to my team and maybe we'll grab a cold brew or something, but uh, I look very forward to it. Um, with that, we'll be signing off. Remember, everyone, always use a local lender. It'll make your transaction go a hell of a lot smoother. And until next time, take care, everybody. Thanks for listening to Home Selling Hero. For more, subscribe to us on your favorite podcast platform and connect with Tom across LinkedIn, Instagram, and Twitter. If you have a question about selling your home or buying your next one, reach out to Tom at tom at tomdidier.com or call or text him directly at 414-881-3290. Home Selling Hero is a production of Tom Didier Real Estate in partnership with Westport Studios. This podcast is for informational purposes only, and any information presented during the course of discussion is presented as reliable under the laws of the state of Wisconsin. Be sure to consult a local agent in order for any nuances where you may live.